and welcome to the Changelog episode 0.0.5. My name is Adam Stachowiak. And I am Wayne Netherland. We've got a great interview today with Jeremy Ashinkas from Document Cloud. Yeah. I think that one turned out really well. Some exciting projects coming out of Document Cloud. We're five episodes into this podcast. So how close are we to figuring out our format? I think we're getting there. I think it's an iterative process, but um, lots of... Lots of small little tweaks along the way, light light little tweaks. But I think the format of having the weekly and then uh, the weekly roundup, and then also having interviews coupled into that is is a nice fit. Be nice to have some guest contributors come on to the show too. So we're pioneering agile podcasting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Who would you like to see uh, come on as a as a guest contributor? When? No, a lot of names out there. I don't want to to uh, share probably any of them in case they're <laughs> too good to come on our little show. On our little show. Well, I mean, we've, we was, uh, I don't, I guess we're somewhat little. I mean, we got uh, just a little over 100 followers in the last few days. I think that's... Yeah, zero to 100 in a week's not bad. Yeah, it's, that's real nice. And certainly the, the blog article on github.com, uh, their blog, uh, helped, out, uh, helped us out a lot. I really think uh, the podcast will take off when the community gets to embrace it and we get... Uh, the news is more than just what we're uh, scouring to find. We've got uh, the community crowdsourcing this deal. So if you've got a great story out there, uh, what's new and exciting and open source, uh, just submit to submit at thechangelog.com via email or just go out to the website, thechangelog.com slash submit. We'd love to, to get that news up on the site. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm looking forward to We haven't gotten any submissions yet, and that's kind of a shame. I really not that we need you know people to to start contributing, but it, it'd be nice to to have somebody alert us besides us just kind of picking up what uh, what we find. Yeah, I'd like to see what uh, pools of information people are are drawing from outside of the 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 ones I'm fishing in. How about you? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, I don't want to be Ruby centric, and I don't want to be a very language uh, specific. I want to be agnostic about what we're doing here, and I think that's. That's always our approach, but you and I tend to just jump in those worlds, and those are the the ones that are most fresh to us. So, if you've got something out there, you know, in a different language, let us know. Absolutely. Well, we've got a great interview today with Jeremy Ashinkas from Document Cloud. We talked about three of his great projects, and uh, I think it's a really dynamic interview. They're doing some exciting things in uh, the media primary news source space. So, how about we get to it? Yeah, let's get to it. Enjoy the show. All right, we're here with Jeremy Ashkenaz, and Jeremy is with Document Cloud. Jeremy, explain a little bit about what Document Cloud is and what it's doing. Sure. So Document Cloud is a, is a new project that I'm uh, really happy to have started with in August. Um, it's a grant funded generously by the Knight Foundation for a, a two-year project to help make the primary source documents that um, the New York Times and the Washington um, Washington Post and the Chicago Tribune and all of these major news organizations are gathering when they're writing their stories to help make these primary source documents that you get from the government, you'd get from Freedom of Information Act requests, um, you get from doing you know, good um, investigative reporting to make those public and to make them searchable online, to make them able to be embedded alongside news articles for context and to make richer stories. And um, one of the nice... Um, perks of this project is that the Knight Foundation has mandated that everything that we produce be open source and be released open source. So as um, we've been going along, I've been trying to split off the sort of atomic chunks of the uh, document cloud project 
as little open source projects and release them. And it's gotten a great response so far. And we've had a whole bunch of community contribution that has really helped improve um, the three things that we've released so far being um, Cloud Crowd, which is a parallel processing sort of framework for Ruby that's a little bit um, MapReduce inspired, although a little bit more practically oriented, I think, for your day-to-day workflow than, uh, than a pure MapReduce like Hadoop. Um, Jamit, which is an asset packager um, plugin for Rails that um, we just launched a couple weeks ago, and uh, underscore.js, which is a collection of functional programming helpers for jQuery to give you those Ruby-style um, map, inject, select, um, fold left, fold right, um, kinds of array and object functions that you don't always have um, cross-browser in JavaScript, but it's very nice to have as kind of a standard library base. Awesome. Those so, are three exciting projects to, to open the gate with. How about yourself? What's your role at Document Cloud? Um, I'm the, I'm the it's, kind of, uh, it's kind of my pet project at the moment. We're looking actually, which I should mention uh, here in case anyone out there is listening, um, not necessarily in New York, but we're looking to hire more help um, both with uh, JavaScript and with uh, Ruby, Postgres, um, EC2 backend stuff. But right now it's just me um, building out the initial prototype of it. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so I'm the, I'm, the, I'm the lead developer, I guess, is my technical job title. So the Knight Foundation, why did they, I mean, I kind of understand why, but do you have some background to why they wanted everything to be open sourced? Um, it's part of it's part of the mandate. So they have this thing called the called the Night News Challenge, and the idea is to fund interesting technology slash journalism projects to help um, figure out what the future of journalism is going to end up looking like. So they they were the ones who funded every block to the tune of about a million dollars a couple years ago, which is I think their biggest name. Um, but they fund you know five or ten um, projects, most of which are smaller scale than than say a Document Cloud or an Every Block. Um, and then the idea is that you end up producing pieces of technology that can help newsrooms transition to you know the internet age, and uh, and so to that end, everything that you do has to be has to be open source code. That is that is uh, in the contract. I think everything everything that the grant money is spent on is supposed to be towards the creation of these open source news projects. That's wild. So every block too. I didn't realize that they supported that as well. That's off topic, but yeah, so, every, so that's every, why, uh, every block is an awesome project. Yeah, that's why every block did that big code dump at the end of the project before they sold themselves was because that was the, yeah, that was the contract. I'm behind the news. I didn't hear that they, they sold themselves. Yeah, they, they were bought by uh, MSNBC for, uh, for an unknown amount. Yeah, so that was a nice, it was a nice exit for the team after the grant funding, you know, because this is a two-year grant, and at the end of the two years, we're going to have to figure out how to continue the project. So we don't have specific plans yet, but every block's um, method was to, was to get bought by MSNBC, who's going to continue it. Wow. Uh, so what's your team size like? You said, is it just you, or do you have more well, we recently we, we recently hired our second um, full-time person who's working on the administrative and dealing with all these news organizations who have signed up um, on the Document Cloud org website there's a list of partner orgs but it's it's many of the major um, news organizations in the country along with magazines like the new yorker and the atlantic monthly um and things of that nature and i guess the uh overseas stuff um is starting to expand a little bit more as well there's been some interest in uh, in the uk um so so she's our second she's our second uh, uh full-time person there's the three founders um eric and scott at propublica and aaron who's the uh editor of the interactive news section at the New York Times were the ones who got the grant in the first place. So um, they don't have too much time to devote to the project from day to day because they've still got their, their day jobs. But, um, but they are the, I guess they're sort of the board. Can you tell us about how this project got started? 
Um, I guess I wasn't I wasn't too much involved in the in the conceiving of the project stage. I uh, I got I got hired after the after the grant was uh, was a sure thing. So it's it's sort of been in the works for a long time. I think the three of them originally had the idea to make um, to make these primary source documents that are sort of you know passing through the filing cabinets of the New York Times, for example, um, to make them public and to make them accessible online, and uh, and wanted to uh, to start a project to make that happen. So a big part of this is um, I don't know if you guys have seen the document viewer that the New York Times ha- does for a lot of their for a lot of their sources. Um, for example, when they had a big Guantanamo project, they released you know a couple thousand. Um, you know, they started out as PDFs, but they became these sort of JavaScript HTML web plugins on the Times's website, where you could search through the court transcripts and the prison records of these inmates and and uh, and keep track of what exactly was going on on a on a detainee to detainee basis. So that particular piece of software, the document viewer that they're using to embed um, the stories um, on the web without having to just download PDFs, their Times is donating to this project. So part of what I've been working on has been integrating that with um, the document cloud prototype. And there's a new version of it that should be coming out shortly that you'll be able to find on the NewYorkTimes.com in a couple weeks. That is uh, pretty cool. It's got a Google Books-like infinite scroll kind of a setup for these documents, and it's pretty nicely uh, designed. So that should be uh, that's in the works right now. Do you see Document Cloud primarily being involved in the government space, or um, it's uh, it's the primary source document space? So it's all of these people, all these organizations whose mission is to uncover um, primary source documents. So whether that means it's government records or it's you know internal corporation memos or emails or you know anything anything I guess that becomes a, that becomes a primary document of record. I think we're interested in. And then beyond that, we might end up opening it up to more things like watchdog groups who are gathering these things. Um, and, uh, yeah. So you mentioned these three projects, um, CloudCrown, mm-hmm. underscore JS, and Jamit. Are all three of these uh, your creation? Or explain a little bit how each came about. Yep, they're all they're, they're three um, direct extractions from the document cloud prototype that I've been working on um, over the course of the fall. So... So one of our first problems was that importing PDFs into the uh, into Document Cloud is pretty is a pretty slow sort of painful process because you've got to split apart a PDF into a number of pages and you've got to convert each page into both its full text and its images in different sizes to display it inside of the document viewer and then you've got to uh, and part of this um, Document Cloud is that we're actually using the Open Calais web service to do semantic indexing of the documents. So we end up knowing what people and what places and what organizations and what terms are mentioned within a document. You can search across that kind of stuff. So we have to go to Open Calais and get that um, and get that information back. And all of this is a very time-consuming, expensive process. So Cloud Crowd, which is our parallel processing framework, was is sort of a generic. Um, you have a job you need to get done in Ruby, and uh, and you can maybe parallelize it to a certain extent. And you'd like to do it in as parallel a fashion as possible. So um, the cloud, cloud primitives are kind of you write a Ruby script, you write a class that has um, at least a process method, and the process method is the parallel part of the computation. Um, and, uh, and it's all sort of web-based. So, you, so there's, a REST, there's a REST API that it, it comes as a gem, and when you install the gem, you get servers and nodes. And ser- uh, the server is the central thing that manages all of the, all of the work, and the nodes are, these, are the actual um, machines that are performing the work. And when you install your action, all you have to do is say, Okay, if I'm on a machine that's doing the work, what is the parallel part of the work that I'm going to do? And then you send it a URL to a, a file, in our case, a PDF, although it could be you know, a JSON document or some other kind of or XML document or some other kind of information. 
and uh, and then you can do the processing on those documents in parallel. So in our case, we're doing the PDFs in parallel, and uh, and then the MapReduce plays in in that if you define more than just a process action, if you define a split um, or a, and a merge. The split at the beginning will take a single input and divide it up into many to all be run in parallel across that process method. And then the merge will take back the results of what came out of all of your process calls and merge it back into a single result for uh, convenient um, use consumption back at the other end when you get pinged back as when your job finishes. So in our case, that means you take a PDF, you split it up into chunks of pages using Cloud Crowd. Each you know, five or ten page chunk gets processed in parallel to get the images out, to get the text out, to get the entities out through OpenCalais, and then at the end merge back together into a single archive that we can import back into the prototype. So in that, in that using this, we can you know, install this gem on many EC2 machines if we need to and spin up Cloud Crowd nodes very easily and uh, start distributing the workout so this can happen in a reasonably fast fashion. Is it EC2 and, and S3 only, or does it work with any sort of cloud platform? Um, it, uh, it, it works with any sort of, so, so it's not, it, there's actually no dependency on EC2. It's only on HTTP and REST. So you could install it on whatever kind of uh, box you'd like. It's nice on EC2 because you can spin up and down these nodes on the fly very easily. Um, there is an S3 um, file system backend built in because um, that's what we've been using where it will, when it transfers files between different machines, this has always been a problem in Hadoop. In Hadoop, you have to install this Hadoop FS where there's a common shared file system that all of the, nodes can write to. So um, the Cloud Crowd default file system backend is to use S3 as that sort of common shared file space. So when you're done, when they're done with an intermediate work unit, it'll save that work unit to S3. And then in the merge step later on, it can pull that from S3 and continue the processing without having to worry about transferring about which particular node has which copy of which file. Um, but there's also a file system backend. So if you're just doing it on one box, if you only have one machine that you're doing work on, you can use the file system backend. It'll be faster. Or if you've got something like uh, like a GFS or GlusterFS setup where you have a shared mounted uh, networked file system, you can use that also for a faster than S3 performance. I'm gonna, this is like not technical really at all, but I'm curious to the, the kind of comments you get about the ASCII art in your README. Of the, of the Cloud Crowd? I don't know. Not, yeah. too, many, not too many comments on the, on the ASCII art. People have been more taken with the, with the diagrams that are in the wiki than oh, the ASCII art. I missed that part. Adam's an ASCII art fan and... and- was convinced by looking at the uh, the readme for underscore js that you had ripped off his uh, signature ASCII art. Did I say ripped off? <laughs> I didn't say ripped off. No, it's it's kind of funny though because your underscore js ASCII art is is uh, if you go and look at uh, I guess I wonder if you have any sites out there now that, that actually do it, but at the top of every uh, you know web document we put this ASCII art that says handcrafted, and I think it was the exact same ASCII art um, font. I guess if that's what oh, you yeah? call it. Yeah, I'm just getting it. Exactly. I'm just getting it from this. There's this generator page that does it for you where you can yeah. just type in. Yeah, yeah. I, I would uh, use a generator page. Probably the same. probably the same one. Probably is. Jeremy, I had not noticed the wikis on these projects because uh, normally I use the, the GitHub wikis. These are beautiful. So uh, the art. Explain a little bit about where the, uh, the diagrams come from. I guess I guess so only one of them has a wiki. So Cloud Crowd has a wiki and uh, Jamit and Underscore have, uh, have pages. Um, and I'm still trying to figure out how to document these uh, these projects correctly. I think I might stick to the plain HTML. Um, but uh, in any case, wait. I mean, so the art on the Cloud Crowd is what you're asking about? Sure. Yeah. The the example PDF processing artwork. Yeah. So so Cloud Crowd really needs some. I mean, uh, needs some hand drawn diagrams, and they're usually a lot nicer than you know if you 
put out spit out a UML or something because you can actually sort of illustrate what's going on. And I think that Cloud Crowd really needs some explanation because you're talking about a complicated system where you have multiple machines. I think, you know, at minimum, you're kind of talking about three different logical uh, machines. You have your application that, that is making the request. You have your central Cloud Crowd server, and then you have the server where the work's being done. So it gets it gets a bit involved, and so it's nice to be able to draw it out, sketch it out on paper, and to show. These are your original drawings. Yep. Yep. Awesome. What are you doing to do like the the workers, the background jobs and stuff? What are we? What's the question? What What are you using to do the worker part of it? The the cloud nodes, the physical machines with with teams of. Uh... So it's all just Ruby. So the idea is that you install this you, for for Cloud Crowd. You install this uh, this gem, and uh, and it comes with with sort of baked in Sinatra um, servers that are able to listen for um, for work requests and then start doing it. So what you do is you install your action, which is just a which is just a Ruby class. It's just a script that knows how to do a process method, and then the node will receive um, requests to do work, and it'll run that action if that action is specified. So in our case, we have an action called process PDFs. But your action might be called encode video, and you would have your Ruby script that knows how to do the video encoding and then save that back to S3. So if you look inside the wiki, there's a, there's a page called the job API that, um, that details all the sorts of, of built-in methods. When you, you, know, when you create a, uh, an action, the kinds of... Or I'm sorry, not the, not the, uh, not the job API page, but the uh, writing an action page. Um, the details, all of the built-in methods that you have. So you have little, you know, it's basically, it's a really sort of minimal um, conveniences. You have ways to get the input, and if the input looks like a URL, then it'll pre-download it for you so that by the time your action starts, um, it'll be ready to go on the local file system, and you can start manipulating it. You can start encoding your video. You can start resizing your JPEG. You can start processing your PDF. Um, You can pass an arbitrary JSON hash of options to any action. I thought that was a convenient way to be able to configure... um, to make actions a little bit customizable. So you can imagine if you had an image resizing action that you wrote using, say, graphics magic or image magic um, to do it efficiently, you could have in your options hash, you could have the sizes and the uh, image types that you wanted to get back out. Um, And then the other important uh, method that you get when you're writing a custom action is save, where um, you call save and you pass it a path on the local file system to your your finished video or image or PDF, and it'll save that back to the to the file system store, or sorry, to the to the asset store, which is usually S3, but could be the file system like we already discussed. Um, so, and then it gives back a URL, which can be used to access it, which then gets sent back to your app. So is Cloud Crowd uh, in the same space as other projects like Delayed Job or Rescue? Um, Rescue actually, I think, overlaps it to a good extent, which is interesting because I, of course, I didn't know anything about it when we released it, and Cloud Crowd was out for about a month before Rescue uh, showed up. Um, and and I'm not sure if I would have just used Rescue if uh, if it had been out before we had started uh, working with Cloud Crowd. The main difference um, is that Cloud between well, so so delayed job and and uh, and background job are, are both simpler alternatives where you're basically just starting up daemons, but there's not this whole distributed sort of queue thing set up. Rescue and Cloud Crowd both have um, central queues that are then that then work is parceled out to a whole bunch of workers. Um, and I think the main difference is that with Rescue, you have um, an atomic sort of job, and it's more like background job where you're saying, do this thing. And with Cloud Crowd, you actually have this kind of built-in MapReduce primitive where you can have a split and a process and a merge, and it'll sort of automatically parallelize the processing to a certain extent. But that's certainly something that we could uh, contribute maybe to Rescue. That's why I was asking you about uh, what, what you were using in that part, like background job, or you know, why, you, why you went the route of, I guess, writing, writing it all yourself, right? Yeah. 
You mean instead of using background job? Well, yeah, instead of using something that was out there already, you know, for you know to do queuing processing or background jobs or just job handling in general, why you chose to go the route of writing yourself versus using something that's out there already uh, and able to use? Um, it was well. I mean, it kind of had a funny genesis in terms of how it got started because there was there was sort of an internal project um, at the times that was that was taking the beginning steps towards having a distributed image processing system because they need to do a lot of um, image resizing, and this was sort of the generalization of that. So, I didn't actually uh, start it. I kind of inherited it and then uh, fleshed it out. Um, but um, but background job, I don't think really fits the same niche that Rescue or Cloud Crowd do. And I think that Rescue and Cloud Crowd do overlap to a large extent. And if Rescue had been out, then I might have just used that instead of trying to uh, to do this thing. Well, it's good to have choices, right? Yep, it is. Talk to us a little bit about um, how underscore JS came about. Sure. So underscore is another extraction. Um, it the the idea I guess behind it is that it's sort of all the things that you know jQuery gives you a great. Um, a great it sort of levels the playing field you know you're stepping into a naked browser page and if you have jQuery there's a whole lot of things you can do and uh, underscore is kind of finishing off I think you know sort of what jQuery starts like if you at least in terms of in terms of my personal uh, use if you hand me jQuery you can start being productive immediately because that's about all that you need to have a solid JavaScript uh, foundation and uh, it looks like other people uh, sort of feel the same way because there's been a decent amount of interest in getting underscore um, available in the Common JS and and Node and Rhino and all these sort of backend server side JS um, systems as kind of a as kind of a standard, I guess, foundation for doing all of the all of the functional uh, array and object and collection manipulation that you need to do so frequently. I'm a big fan of it. I implemented uh, a new feature in the, the footer of my blog to uh, pull in the uh, the reading list from Reader ReaderNot. Uh, using jQuery and uh, and underscore to do a lot of the uh, the parsing of the the JSON that comes back from the service, and I, it just felt natural as a Rubyist to to drop in and and use these methods and and use the templating uh, that is built in. I'm a really big fan of this this framework. I think it's going to take off. I, I hope so. Yeah, I don't think I don't think we have enough. Uh, I, I'd like I'd like to think that uh, that they're going to be they're going to take off and uh, and they're going to. Have some kind of a you know enduring support and and continue to get contributions. We don't have um, you know the resources to really promote them and to be doing you know tons of blog posts about how to use it and 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 podcasts and stuff. Because at the end of the day, you got to get back to work on on document cloud proper and uh, making that prototype as solid as you can. But but it's nice to put it out there and to have it be picked up and run with. Yeah, for sure. Can you talk about uh, Jamit? Uh, where that came about? Can you kind of give us the backstory? So, uh, so Jamit is is um it was it was another extraction. So in the document cloud prototype, I was you know thinking about how we were going to be packaging assets, and uh, it had been sort of a problem for me with Rails projects in the past. Um, so the document cloud interface is extremely JavaScript heavy. It's a, it's basically you know a, a JavaScript application, and Rails is kind of a skinny backend. And then the database is more significant because you have to do all the searching of these documents. But the Rails layer is actually very skinny. And most of the rendering of views and the and the you know client side validation logic you have to validate in the server too, but do it on the client first. And there's actually a full sort of MVC stack in the client, so we have models of of users and of documents and of saved searches and of labels and of metadata. All of these things are real first class models in JavaScript in the client using underscore um, to to uh, sort of manipulate them and. Uh, 
And then we have this sort of rich, you know, tabbed uh, document searching journalist workspace UI in a client, where as a journalist, you can search through the documents and you can load up the viewer and you can do save searches and you can organize them under labels. And you can visualize them, it uses Canvas to do some, uh, some neat little visualizations of the connections between related documents and the people that are mentioned in, uh, in more than one document. And so the, basically, at the end of the day, you have a huge amount of JavaScript because it's an entire application getting sent down to the client. And, I, and uh, in the past, I had had some frustrations using the Rails Asset Packager to try to manage a large number of small JavaScripts into reasonably efficient parcel downloads. So um, we had had to customize that a little bit in the for, a little bit before at uh, my previous job, and uh, I figured that I would just extract that into Jamit. So Jamit tries to be a relatively comprehensive um, asset packager for Rails that is um, easy to configure. So it uses directory globs instead of having to specify every single JavaScript. You can just have you know a specific views directory full of all kinds of tiny you know ten or twenty line views, and then um, just say you know in your directory glob just say views slash star dot js, and you'll get all of them. Um, included all the time, so you don't have that to worry about it. But asset packagers that you know you have to specify each individual one you want to exactly, you wanna and, and, uh, and then and then and then in development you're trying to you're trying to make your app, and every time you change a JavaScript file or rename it, you have to go restart your server and change assets.yaml. It's a pain. So yeah, this or is right, write a reg task that does the does the packaging for you. It's yeah, it's a Oof. pain. <laughs> you shouldn't. I mean, you shouldn't have to. So so I, so uh, so the idea here is that if you have an ordered unique list of directory globs, so they all get so. So if you're talking about a specific package, it's going to expand all of the globs in order. It's going to take the unique set of files, and and uh, and uh, and in the end, you can you can keep things ordered the way you want. So you can say first, give me just jQuery, then just give me underscore, and then give me JavaScript slash star dot star. Give me everything else after that. It's and, interesting uh, that you have built-in support for JavaScript templates, and, and you list a number of of options here from John Resick's micro templating to underscores built in templating that we mentioned earlier, prototypes um, support and also mustache JS from defunct. Um, any preference or, or views on the four of those? Um, I think, I think there's a really good cases to be made uh, for different ones. You know, as with most things, JavaScript, there isn't really a standard and there's lots of different competing ways to do it. Um, I wanted to support JavaScript templates out of the box because that's one thing that if you're using JavaScript templates seriously in, uh, in, your, uh, in your web applications, you need to have good asset packaging support for them because basically every time you load the page, you've got to rebuild all of your asset package, all of your JavaScript templates and send them down as a single um, JST file, I guess. So I wanted Jamit to be able to do it um, conveniently. Um, but in terms of the actual template method, I don't think that that uh, I am too qualified to uh, to know about all the different ones. I know there's really a whole gazillion. There's pure JS, and there's and there's there's a whole bunch of different methods out there. A lot of people like you know sort of inserting hidden DOM elements onto the page and then using those actual DOM elements as templates. Um, the ones that I've been more familiar with are more like strings um, with interpolation, like ERB, which is what the one which is what the micro templating that we're using. And that underscore uses is similar to it's a lot like ERB but with JavaScript instead of Ruby in your uh, in your tags. So where do these names come from? Jamit, you got these very unique names. Are you part of that naming process, or is that something that you inherited as well? Uh, I'm part of it. Um, where the names come from? Yeah, where's the name? Right, I mean, these to... are awesome names. Right? I mean, you look at other people in the space too, uh, like Thoughtbot. They've got some really unique names behind their open source projects. Um, you know, I just wonder where Jamit comes from and kind of the thought process behind these cool names. You try to find uh, something that's you know, evocative of what the actual uh, app is, but not too clunky or acronymy. So I, I don't know. Spend, spend, a, spend a couple hours you know, with it 
kicking around in the back of your head until you find something that sounds appropriate. I'm not too sure about cloud crowd. I keep uh, tripping over it every time I try to say it too many times fast in a row. It's kind of a tongue twister. But, uh, yeah. You know, one of the things that uh, impressed Adam and me when we looked at um, JMIT and Underscore was just the handcrafted uh, nature of, of the documentation. Uh, are these your themes? Drip this off from somewhere? Or? The themes? Yeah, yeah, drip this the, off somewhere. <laughs> Listen to you. <laughs> <laughs> He's calling you a thief. Well, I called you, you a thief with your you ass yard. You called you first, right? We're, we're late when it was a thief. He comes on the show, <laughs> you're stealing my ass yard, and, and you're stealing... Jeez. Well, I don't think the documentation is as much thievery as maybe some of the ideas. Like, none of this stuff is particularly, you know, is particularly new. You know, like... Uh, Underscore.js has a lot of ideas from uh, from, prototri- from prototype and a lot of you know sort of partial implementation sharing of what prototype and jQuery are doing in terms of their collection manipulation and of course the idea of having a Rails asset packager isn't new and the idea of having a having a Rails uh, or a Ruby distributed uh, job system isn't new either. Um, but the documentation I think is uh, is new. I, I didn't I didn't grab that from anywhere. But, yeah, uh, the reason I say that is is most developers you know if we write documentation they tend to not be that uh, pretty to look at. And both of these sites are, are informative, minimalistic, and, and just look great. And, and so if this is totally your design, then, then kudos, because it really does a, a good job of, of selling the project without having to dig into the source to see how things operate. Uh, yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. Um, we, the, I think that has a big, that's a big part of why they're actually, you know, I think we have over a thousand watchers between all of these projects now on GitHub and between, you know, people watching document cloud and people watching document cloud related projects, which is great. And I think a lot of that has to do with having solid documentation um, out of the gate. And, you know, when people first see a project, what they're going to judge it by is what they start reading about it. And either that's a blog post explaining it, or hopefully it's the official docs and the official docs are good enough for them to get their feet wet and to start messing with it. So are there any, uh, since you mentioned blog posts, do you have any deep blog posts out there going deeper into some of the stuff that we're talking about? No, I wish I did. Um, it would be nice too. I think I think that it'd be good to start putting on on documentcloud.org some some blogs about design decisions as to why things are the way they are in terms of Jamit and how it packages assets or Cloud Crowd and how it distributes jobs. Um, but no, I haven't gotten around to any of that yet. Good idea though. I mean, I think that uh, one of the things we cling to jumping into uh, acceptance of an open source project is first. What does it do? Why do I care? Second is, where's the documentation? How deep is it? And how, how informative is it? And three, does it actually solve the problem I'm trying to solve? Right? So, need some blog posts. Yeah, amen to that. If, uh, if, any, if any listeners feel like, uh, like writing some, that would be much appreciated. Henry, do you have anything to scoop? Any, anything cool coming up that you just have to mention? Actually, uh, we do. So, um, so the next, uh, the next little, it's, it's, it's a bit smaller, I think, in scope than our previous ones, but the next uh, document cloud open source release, I think, is going to be a project called uh, PDF Pieces coming out uh, in a day or two that uh, makes it easier to uh, take a PDF and to pull it apart into all of its uh, component pieces and then, you know, things that you can then index and put on the web and make searchable. So you'll be able to do, um, as a command line, you'll be able to do PDF Pieces um, pages or images or text and uh, explode the PDF apart into its UTF full text or into um, pings or, or GIFs or JPEGs of each page um, or into single-page PDFs um, if that's what you need. Um, and it'll also pull out some of the metadata so you can find out you know, the title and the author um, and the producer and things like that of the PDF. So what this is is just going to be a Ruby gem that wraps the uh, excellent Adobe PDF Box Java library. And so under the covers, it's actually shelling out to... Uh, 
to special um, little Java classes that are doing the actual um, the actual work. So it's pretty nice and efficient, and uh, you can you can pass it. Um, say a PDF and tell it to give you all back all the images um, for that document in 700 and 1000 pixels wide, as well as both JPEG and uh, ping forms. And it'll do all that for you in a single, um, in a single JVM loop. So you don't have to keep going back and forth between Ruby and Java doing it for every page. So that's the next, that's the next thing uh, on our plates. Sounds very interesting. We normally wrap each show by asking uh, the guest. What's on your open source radar? So any projects out there other than the ones that are coming out of Document Cloud that excite you? Yes, absolutely. So I think the big thing that I'm excited about but that I can't quite see myself getting into yet, which is kind of uh, kind of like a tease, I guess, is all of the server-side JavaScript stuff that's happening. Because um, I think we're at the point now with a lot of projects that are that are more interesting technically on the client side than they are in the server. And you're doing a lot of great, you know, visualization and computation, a lot of great interaction um, with real MVC stacks, with real models in JavaScript. And it's, and it's really um, a source of duplication and, and pain to be duplicating all of these models. You know, you write it once in Ruby to do the validations and to do the, and to do the manipulation where you're asking a document what its metadata is and what, you know, what people it talks about and that kind of thing. You're doing that both in Ruby on the server as well as you know, on the client in JavaScript. And to be able to have one language where you can share the models and just send down JSON data and you can have the same operations and the same validations running both on the server and the client I think would be really, really, really useful. So I'm just kind of waiting for someone to write the, the complete comprehensive Rails equivalent in one of these server.js platforms, whether it ends up being Node or Narwhal on Rhino or something else on custom V8 that, um, that has a complete story of, you know, how do you do, you know, your parallel processes? How do you do your file interactions? How do you talk to a database? How do you interface with other C or Java libraries, as the case may be? And once someone has all that figured out and we've got a good server-side platform, I think that it'll become an instant no-brainer to build large-scale web applications, you know, in JavaScript end-to-end. So I'm kind of waiting for that. I, I can't, I can't justify it for Document Cloud as a project because I don't think it's there yet. But uh, I think it's coming soon, maybe within a year or so. Anybody wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to reach out to you? Are you on Twitter? What's your handle? Uh, pe- email? I'm actually not on Twitter. Um, people, people like to message through GitHub, which works pretty well. Or you can do uh, Jeremy at documentcloud.org um, and. Uh, and just to uh, mention the thing that I said at the beginning, if you're you know, a talented JavaScript or Ruby programmer um, and you are interested in working on projects that have a mandate to be open sourced, then uh, we'd love to uh, hear from you. So yeah, you can send me an email at jeremy at documentcloud.org. And uh, so they can also go to github.com forward slash documentcloud and they can hit you from there. Is that your user or do yep. you have your own user? Yep, that's, I'm, 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 I'm pretty much that one too. So yeah, that'll work also. Awesome. Well, uh, it was awesome having you on the show, Jeremy. Thank you very much for taking the time to, to chat with us. Your product sure. is awesome. And, uh, Thanks a lot. It's a pleasure having you. It's a pleasure being on. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to this edition of The Changelog. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also, visit thechangelog.com to follow along, subscribe to the feed, and more. Thank you for listening.